Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, five, six, three, eight. Counting is hard. Welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Saturday, April 16th, 2022. It is just after 1930 UTC as I'm starting to record. I am Sam Minter. We do not have Yvonne Bo with us today. Uh, he had uh, some people from out of town. He was doing stuff with them, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I'm not doing a solo episode, uh, but I'm just, uh, I'm going to set the stage here. Um, I figured. Rather than talk about a lot of this week's news all by myself or try to get uh, a random co-host to do the same thing with me, um, that instead I would have my wife on again. Uh, it's been a long time since I've done that. Um, and in the meantime, uh, she ran a race for county council. Uh, she lost that race, but then she got appointed to the state legislature. Um, and I figured, uh, let's talk to her about all that, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I got her to agree, uh, to do that. And we were going to record that on Friday night, but then actually I finished doing some stuff, uh, for her. Actually, I put out like leaflets for a town hall that she was doing. Uh, and so when I got home from that, I was tired and I didn't want to do it. And so then we were going to do it after her town hall event on Saturday, which is now when I'm recording this. Um, but then it turned out she had uh, some additional uh, stuff that she had to do uh, related to her campaign stuff. Uh, and so she's doing that now. So I'm doing the thing where I get the beginning of the show in on the correct week um, so that uh, I can continue to say I've never missed a week for Curmudgeon's Corner. And then we will record uh, the rest of this a little bit later uh, in the day um, uh, so that once she's done with all her stuff and that we both have the time to do it. Uh, so in any case, uh, what you will get today is not, is not the discussion of you know, the latest developments in Ukraine. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I've got a, the, the list of potential topics we had done here was, you know, Sam, Sam, that's me, being done buying crypto, space tourists, Trump Jr. tax, uh, stuff going on in Pakistan, the China COVID lockdowns, uh, the woman who was charged with murder for uh, abortion, and then those charges were dropped and what that means for everything. Uh, inflation and how inflation worldwide may be impacting the prospects of the worldwide uh, right. Um, um, is MAGA losing interest in Trump himself? Uh, expansion of anti-abortion laws, expansion of anti-LGBTQ laws, uh, Sweden and Finland joining NATO, the, the New York subway shooter, all of this stuff. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and have... Uh, uh, when Yvonne's back, uh, or you know, a normal show for that. In the meantime, though, I want to find out. Well, I already know because I talk to her every day, but I want you guys to know. Uh, you know, 
what the state legislature is like and what was going on there and all of this kind of stuff uh, and the experience of uh, you know, running a campaign, losing a campaign, getting appointed, uh, gearing up to run another campaign, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so we'll have a little conversation about that. Uh, it's the kind of stuff that I feel like, and I've talked about this on the show before, I, I feel like, you know, either people are completely disengaged with politics entirely, or they're really engaged, but it's all nationalized at this point. It's all, you know, talking about Republic, you know, Republicans versus Democrats, uh, the, what's going on in Congress, what the president is doing, all of this kind of stuff. And it's local stuff is sort of orphaned. Um, you know, local news has been on a decline for a long time. It still exists. If you know where to look for it, you'll find it. Um, but most people I feel like are disengaged from uh, a lot of the local stuff. Uh, and I certainly was, and may maybe I'm overreading. Maybe a lot of people are really engaged with their local school boards and state legislatures and stuff like that. But I sort of feel like that's not usually true. It's the unusual person who's really engaged in that stuff. Um, and, uh, and most people are sort of very unaware, except for every once in a while when it really breaks into the news, uh, what those levels of government are doing and how those operate and things like that. Um, so we'll have a little bit of a talk about that. Uh, but that'll be after this break. And this break will be a minute or two for you. Um, for everybody else, everybody else, for me, for, for me, for me. Yeah, I'm the only one who's important here. Uh, it'll be a few hours. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how things go. Anyway, uh, I hope you'll tune into the rest of this. It's a little bit different than our normal shows. Uh, let us know. At the end of the show, I give all the ways to get in touch with us. Uh, do get in touch with us and uh, let us know your thoughts on uh, uh, whether or not this kind of shift in gears is something that you'd like to see more of, less of, uh, etc. Um, and just generally your thoughts anyway, back after this and, uh, my wife, uh, Brandy Donaghy will join me, uh, when we're back. Enjoy the break. Okay, we are back. As I said, it's a few hours later for me, but probably only a couple minutes later for you or less if you fast forwarded through that little babbling thing. Um, in any case, uh, my wife, Brandy Donaghy, is now with me. Hello, Brandy. Hi, Sam. Long time no talk. Yeah, I know. It's uh, It's been forever. <laughs> um, 
in any case, I, I, I told everyone that we'd be talking a bit about uh, sort of local politics uh, and your your story particularly, but uh, also just sort of getting getting people to pay attention to local politics versus national and such, uh, because I've found, I know personally for me at least, and it seems like for a lot of people, it's very easy to know what's going on sort of nationally and even a little bit internationally. But if you want to know really what's going on at the state and local level, you have to try. You know, it's not it's not just going to naturally bombard you and surround you uh, in the same way that the national politics sometimes does. Um, but let, let's let's start with uh, you know I, I I meant to look up exactly when the last time you were on the show was directly, um, as opposed to me just mentioning you were having a campaign and things like that. Um, I didn't get a chance to, but I feel like it was a long time ago before your county council race uh, and, uh, you know, and certainly before you became a state rep. Uh, so give me a little bit of, uh, you know, for, for those who haven't followed along who might be out there, um, give me a little bit of a history of your political life. Because uh, I know <laughs> going back a few years, Paul, yeah, you know, you had opinions, but you weren't involved. And then you got involved and things started happening. So how did that history work? I think ultimately what it comes down to is that I'm a sucker, right? <laughs> Cause I, I get sucked in. And then once I'm sucked in, I'm, I'm there, I'm there. And uh, in this case, a lot of it stemmed from the, the uh, imperative for people to get more involved in their local politics and their, their state party politics um, back in mm, 2016-ish with what individual. Might, what, might, what might have happened in 2016 that spurred this? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I couldn't possibly tell you. There was some kind of incident that, for whatever reason, had me curled in a fetal position by the bed for a couple days. But I'll be darned if I can remember what it was. Yeah, maybe, maybe towards the end of 2016. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so um, there was this there was this push for people to get involved because the reality is that a lot of people aren't involved. You do have, you know, we we can we can protest and we can we can talk about things that the, we want to have changed, but the reality is, unless you know how to change those things, you're really just talking. Um, so one of the things that I was recommending um, was for people to get involved in their local parties, become a PCO, which is the lowest elected official. Um, and it's a, it's a partisan thing where you represent basically your neighborhood, um, your precinct, which up to about a thousand people. And, so, so back, um, back yeah. up just one second. Like Go. you said, you were recommending people get involved in BPCOs. How did you even find out about that yourself? Where, how did you get that information and and decide to start being involved with your local party? I mean, I, I know you Instead mentioned of shouting into the wind. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I know you mentioned 2016 prompted some things, and uh, but y- y- the first thing you did wasn't show up at you know a local Democrat meeting, was it? Um, you know that actually didn't happen all that far afterwards. It mm-hmm. was it was pretty quick. Um, the the idea was we get people to get involved in their local party politics, and by doing that, you have more control as to what happens. Um, you, you, because- you, you, you mentioned indivisible, like yep. how did, how did that prompt, was that the first thing that you got involved in and then they prompted you to seek out the local stuff or, or the other way around? How did that work? Um, well, like we've talked about before, I've always had opinions and I've always been quite vocal about them. Um, but I started kind of, I guess, falling into leadership positions because of how I expressed my, my positioning, um, and how I interacted with other people. Cause I would do so in a way that was, um, firm, but not firm, but not demeaning. So it was about helping people learn as opposed to scolding them for things they were doing wrong. Um, and so in doing that, I ended up starting finding myself in leadership positions. Um, and so then I was recommending because, you know, it's, it was part of the whole process, people to start getting involved with their local politics, their, um, local political organizations become a PCO, which is the lowest, um, lowest elected official. And basically you become that connection between your community and your, um, your local party. And, Along with that, at least I think it was along with that, um, one of the other local leaders kind of convinced me to uh, run for office. Mm. And then it just kind of snowballed. So you now you you have run for several offices at this point. Um, two. Yeah. Yeah. And run for two and appointed to a third. Um, so what was that first race and why and how, like you, you said somebody encouraged you to do so. And then you're just like, well, I, I, I guess I will. It was fire commissioner and it was a issue where some of the, um, a couple of the fire commissioners were caught on a hot mic saying some things that were fairly inappropriate and racist. And, um, so there were actually a whole bunch of people that ran against them uh, against one of the gentlemen, the one who was, um, actually up for reelection that year. So there was like this whole big group. He sparked a lot of people jumping in after him. So there was that one, which by the way, very interesting. Most people don't know what a fire commissioner does. <laughs> they run the fire department, right? Oh yeah, totally. That's exactly what they do. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's budgeting. They do the budgets. They hire the fire chief, and they they uh, mostly handle the budgeting. And so, um, determine what's going to what funds are going to go where. Also, they can. Um, they also work with the. Um, bargaining for the union contracts. 
Gotcha. So let, let's zoom ahead a little bit. You sure. you actually uh, ran twice for fire commission, right? Um, yeah. What did what did you learn from the and and just spoilers? Uh, you did not win either of those times. Uh, what what did you learn from that experience, and how did it uh, uh, how did it affect what you did next? Well, like I said, people, a lot of people don't know what a fire commissioner is or what it does. And they certainly don't understand why it's an appropriate job for a woman. Um, Also, I learned that it really is hard to get people interested in um, the down ballot races. Uh, People will start at the top of their ballot and then they'll just kind of fade off and they won't necessarily complete it. And another issue is that when you're running in an off year, um, you have less turnout as well. Unfortunately, what that means when your turnout isn't good, it means that um, you aren't really getting a accurate representation of what the, um, the voters really want, because you're not getting enough voters to really be able to make that distinguish or to distinguish that. Does that make sense? Because basically what you're saying is that in these, first of all, it's down ballot. Second of all, it's off year. Uh, so really the the kind of people who actually even bother voting in those elections are not representative at all of the overall population. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's really the truth when it comes to uh, politics in general. The people who are, who are really heavily engaged aren't, aren't going to be, yeah. And, and, and for, for this kind of race specifically, and I think it holds true for some of the others that we're going to talk about in a second, but I mean, I know my experience, even as a person who's pretty engaged with national politics and uh, is, is a junkie and listening to news stuff all the time. Like when you get to these down ballot races, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know what the issues are. I don't know anything about it. Like you said, what does a fire commissioner actually do? I don't know. But like, even assuming I know that, what are the issues in the local race for that? Yeah. Yeah, because in order to know that, you have to actually engage with the people who are who are really deeply involved, and that is not something that's often easy to do. Because I, I mean, part of what I've typically done for these local races is come election time, I try to do a little bit of research, and I'll read what's in the little pamphlets, and maybe I'll Google the people's names or something, and I might find like one or two articles talking about the local race, maybe like usually there'll be the local paper giving some endorsements or something like that with one or two paragraphs max about some of these down ballot races. And, and, and that's all I have to go on. And it seems like, how do you, how do you get people to move beyond that? How do you make this meaningful in any way? Um, and I don't know the answer, but it seems like it's an ongoing problem with local races. And I know people have talked about sort of the death of local media uh, because the economics just haven't been there. But it, 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 you know, it seems like in in previous times, 
it might even have been the opposite sometimes that people knew a lot about what was going on in their local community and cared less about the national picture. This is entirely inverted now. Or is it just me? You know, it's not just you. Um, I think, I think the reality is that people have lives. They have a lot of stuff going on. You know, they, they go to work, they come home. There's a lot of, you know, family stuff going on, maybe, or home stuff. They're tired. Um, And there are just a lot of other things that people want to engage in if they do have that free time to do so. Um, We have a tendency to get so caught up in our own personal bubbles that we don't always see what's going on on the outside until it starts to impact us. And that's fairly typical. Um, So given that, I think it's harder to get people involved. Yeah. It it, it seems like here we've, we've, there's a problem. We all see the problem. I don't see any like magic solutions here. Uh, You know, and so for folks like you running for local office, this clearly is like part of part of the whole picture that you have to consider when running, when doing everything is how the heck do you even get people to know what you're doing and what, and that you exist above and beyond, uh, you know, if, if you're running for a partisan race, I mean, at this point, a huge number of people will not look any further than the R or the D behind the name. And that's all there is, I guess. Um, but some group of voters in between are going to care about the specifics, but how do you reach them? Money and time. Okay. They're the two biggest pieces. So. So we'll, okay. So we'll get, we'll get to that in the context of your current race in a second. Let's, let's uh, continue to zoom forward in your history. After the two fire commissioner races, um, you were continuously involved in the, I guess, the local democratic infrastructure, you know, you're attending local meetings, involved in committees, et cetera. Yep. But, but then you decided to, and, and, I guess maybe take a minute, like what are those local organizations like? Cause most, to most people, those are completely invisible. What's it like inside local party politics? Yeah, I guess so. Cause like to, to most people, like before you started getting involved in this, I think I, you know, I, I had a, attended a couple of events for both parties, um, but had not actually been involved. I was sort of attended a couple things as observers during presidential years and, played around with it a little bit, mostly to just try to see, but like most people, like if it's not their election ballot every four years, forget about the every two years or every one year stuff, uh, you know, they they have no idea. They're not even paying attention. They don't know, but uh, there are these local party organizations who are doing stuff all the time. So what's up with those? Um, well, They are largely made up of people who uh, who do have the time to engage. And some of them have to really work hard to have that time. Um, others are retired or, um, or they don't work. Um, it's, it's all kinds of people, right? 
but the uh you know it's 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 really an interesting combination of people in most cases you know they come from all over and they all have very different ideas and you know when it comes to the democrats anyway they also have you know they can often have different ideologies because there's as a big tent party it means that you've got all sorts of people from all different walks of life who believe all sorts of different things and there's generally some level of stuff that everybody sticks to but it's certainly not all the time so what do these local organizations actually do are they just sitting around in a room talking about politics or are they what it's not like i mean i have some idea what a fire commissioner does because you've told me but uh like a state representative uh, a state senator a governor someone in the house. I, I know what these people do. What, what do these local organizations do? All sorts of stuff. Um, work on voter outreach, try to educate people on local um, politics, support some of the bigger races too, state and national, um, create a platform that meets the, um, that kind of identifies the, uh, basic beliefs of those who are involved, um, su support candidates. It's, it's really, it, it's all over. Um, I don't mean like all over, like it's ending all over. I mean, it's, it's all sorts of stuff. There's generally a lot of outreach that goes into it, but also, you know, just, just managing the organization, figuring out who you're going to support, engaging with local elected officials because you know all of our state electeds would come to our meetings um they were also all pcos and so they were involved in the legislative district they would come to um county meetings our even you know our congress people and sometimes our um, federal senators will come to meetings and tell us what's going on, what they've been doing, what's happening next. Um, it kind of gives you this insight that is a little bit deeper than is ex than what's accessible to most people. Does that make sense? It like uh, there's all sorts of stuff, but really, what it does is it 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 provides you more space and a deeper understanding of politics. Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the things I noticed as an observer when you started to get involved in these, uh, and you would occasionally invite me along to one thing or another, um, was exactly that. Like, oh, you're going to an event that the local congressman is going to speak at, um, or the governor, or whatever, that, you know, m maybe that wasn't actually the the sort of monthly local Democrat meeting itself, although sometimes it was, I guess, but mm -hmm. there were other events that you would find out about because you were at those. Um, yep. and whereas like, if I'm just sitting here, you know, watching MSNBC and CNN and reading the New York times and the Washington post, I'm not finding out anything about anything at <laughs> this local level, like in terms of those kinds of things. So I, you know, I would tag along to you in events and would be like, oh, okay, I'm hearing from my congressperson 
about what they think about this issue in a way that I normally don't because, you know, they're not necessarily the one that's on national TV all the time. Uh, but, but yet they're the ones that I could potentially vote for or be engaged with. And, you know, and, and, you know, I mentioned sort of this isolation from local politics. Uh, I mean, unfortunately the answer seems to be to break through with that from that. There's not a passive way to do that. There's not just, Oh, go read this website. And now you'll know about all the local news. Uh, I mean, I know there's like local papers and local TV stations, but it's even there, there, it's still not quite the same to really start understanding what's going on here. You almost have to start attending some of these things, whether they're your, your local, your, your political party of preference, um, or just, you know, events at which your local elected leaders are speaking and stuff. Uh, and, and start proactively being involved in, and the problem with that is it takes a lot of work. Yeah, it takes work. It takes time. It's not something that everybody can do. And, you know, I was doing this in, in that, in that respect, but, um, you know, being involved in the other groups that were not, you know, political organizations, but activist organizations, Mm -hmm. um, could also afford me the opportunity to be able to sit down with my congressperson and have a meeting about what's important to us and, um, you know, talk about what we need them to do and finding out whether or not they'll do those things or if they'll do other things instead. And, and so and, and on. you're talking about you, you got involved with indivisible. Um, yeah. and so through indivisible, you were able to, and you, as you said, you sort of got recruited into leadership. And so through that, you were able to have meetings with a number of these elected people anyway, at various levels and just start to interact in that way. Yeah. And actually one, one thing we did in the very beginning, which was kind of fun was, um, we, there was this thing, I think I want to say it was like Occupy Democrats or something was doing this, um, Tuesday rally at, um, at your senator's offices or your, your, um, your, uh, congressperson's offices. And, um, a group of us decided, Hey, let's not rally outside with signs. Let's go in, sit down and have a conversation. So we went in, we sat down and the, um, the senators weren't there, but, um, they all have staff and they all have staff that can speak on what their positions are, what their concerns are, what their focus is going to be, et cetera. And so we were able to, while everybody else was outside with their signs and, and rally and, and shouting, we were hanging out in the Senate, in the Senator's office with their um, staff people talking about what their positions were on things, explaining to them who we were and talking about how we could get them what they needed in order to be able to do what we needed. And so, you know, really just like with the local parties, it's about, it's about engagement and it is a little bit different when you're doing it, I think as an activist. Um, but it, it's still kind of the same idea. 
you know, you're, you're um, in a position where you can engage with the people who are representing you and, you know, provide the opportunity for them to truly represent you because they understand what you want. Okay. Uh, so let's move forward a little bit. Uh, and I know I, I've, I'm just sort of going through this chronologically because I think it's a nice story. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to sort of current events at the end. Um, <laughs> so at some point, you know, you're, you're in these circles, you're involved in the local party. The next thing you decide to do is run for county council. Why did you decide to do that? How did you decide and what was involved in that? There were, um, there seemed to be some issue um, convincing anybody to run against the council member in our district. And one of the things that's important too is that um, it's always important to, you know, give somebody a challenge. And I don't necessarily mean that, you know, <clears throat> Oh, you know, if you if you have a a person who shares all your same values, uh, you should run against them just so that it happens. That's not what I mean at all. Um, what I mean is that everybody that we we disagree with should have a challenge. Um, so so now specifically, uh, and all all of this is public record, so I'm not you know, revealing any secrets here. Uh, our, the the county council person in our seat was uh, a Republican named Sam Lowe. And so you're saying that the Democrats were having a hard time recruiting somebody to run against him. Is that what was going on? We, there were, there were some conversations going on about it and trying to determine whether or not there was somebody who could take him on, who was willing to take him on, who was willing to step up and actually, um, who, who was willing to step up, but also who had the, um, had the resources to be able to give it a real go, I guess is the best way to put it. And, and is it fair to say that, um, yeah, I, I, I've mentioned on this show when I was talking to people about your race before that this was an uphill race from the beginning. It was sort of a, <laughs> a, a red, a reddish district. It, I mean, Democrats had won there before, but it had been reddish. It seemed to be trending redder. Am I wrong there? So this was sort of a, you know, somebody has to run, but it's not necessarily a, <laughs> you know, you're thinking you, you can slam dunk this thing. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm never going to jump into something and not do the best that I can and try to win. That's just not, that's not a me thing. But um, it, it is, it is a red district. It was a red district. It still is a red district. Um, that has not changed. And so getting getting through there as a uh, black democratic woman. Um, definitely an uphill battle, but one that I was willing to fight. So how did that go? Not well. Um, <laughs> well, no, that's not the right way to say it. I didn't win. I got a lot of support. I raised more money than some of the county council members that did win. Um, so I got a lot of people on board and it was very grassroots, but I ultimately did not win. And I got completely hammered in the, in the really red spots. Mm -hmm. 
And I think there were a lot of reasons for that. But um, I kind of look at, I kind of look at stepping up a way to get, um, get policy out there that's important, get ideas that are out there, start trying to change some minds, um, bring issues to the forefront in ways maybe they haven't been before, um, and make it more accessible for other people to do the same thing. So I firmly believe that while I was in it to win it, that I didn't win didn't mean I lost, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, so do you, do you feel like you were successful in sort of getting out a message and you know, getting something out there, you know, like through the campaign, how, how are you reaching out to people? I mean, I, I know, and I've mentioned on this show, I put out a bunch of signs, but mm -hmm. you know, si signs are just signs. And um, everybody's got signs. Uh, I was doorbelling and I was going to events. Um, one thing I did not do, and I have learned since that um, one of the things people will really look for is what you put on your social media, because mm. you can go to six events in a day, but if you're not posting on social media, it didn't actually happen. Right. It's not real. Um, so that's the number of people who actually see you at the event is minuscule compared to the exposure you can get from sharing it on social media and having people further share that to their networks, et cetera. Yeah. And it's also, it's not necessarily the same types of people, like the people mm -hmm. who are following my social media, they knew who I was. Um, other people, not so much. And so, um, I occasionally had people who would show up because they wanted to meet me. But in a lot of cases, it was different people than those who would follow my social media. So it was interesting. But I think also um, there it was, you know, there are people who are watching to see what you're doing so they know how to feel about you. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Um, after you lost, uh -huh. somehow you ended up a few weeks later in the state legislature, even though that's okay. not what you ran for. What happened? I mean, look, I'm asking this for the show. I know what happened. I was here. But what what happened? Well, you know, so here's the thing. My intention had been to, okay, you know, regroup, lick my wounds step back and, you know, stay out of politics for a good six months or so. Maybe we could go on vacation. There were projects around the house I wanted to get done. And then my state senator was appointed to be secretary of state. And because the secretary of state got appointed by the Biden administration to some commission or other. So it's Biden's fault. Yeah, there we go. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, um, Steve Hobbs was uh, appointed Secretary of State, which left a vacancy in the Senate. And um, the senior state representative, John Lovick, decided to go for that seat in the Senate. And I mean, he was kind of it was kind of a given John was going to get that that Senate seat. I mean, he's he is a fabulous legislator. He is really good at connecting with the community. He's really just, um, 
he's one of those rare people that's able to um, coalition build, I guess, with people from all different backgrounds and all different ideologies. I mean, I've I've had people be, we're Republicans in this house. We only vote Republican, except for John. So um, he's he's just an amazing person. Anyway, um, him moving to the Senate would leave an extra or an open seat in the House of Representatives. And there's this idea that when one door closes, another one opens. And I had just come off of a tough race. And I was thinking that I was going to have some time to chill. But... It was also one of those opportunities that I, I do believe had I um, had I walked away from it, I would have really, really regretted it for a while. Mm-hmm. Like on one hand, I know there's time. I'm still young. There are a lot of people in the legislature older than me. A lot of people younger than me too, though. Um, but it was an opportunity to do good. In a way that I hadn't really thought I was ready for until I managed to jump into a much larger race and raise a bunch more money. Um, and once those things have, those were the things that would have held me back from really participating at this level before. And I did them. I'd already done them. And so I jumped in. So the the process here... Um, and it, and you know when this was going on, I, I discussed this a little bit on the show, but it, it's it's a bizarre little process for replacing for, for filling these seats. Uh, just to summarize real quick, when a, a when a vacancy becomes open uh, long enough ahead of the election that they just don't just have the election, um, the local party apparatus that we talked about before ends up nominating three names which then the county council has to pick from those three names. And then that person is appointed to the spot. And apparently if the county council can't, if the county council can't decide, the governor gets to decide, but it's, it's a weird multi-stage process where the, it, it does the, in Washington state, it is required to stay in the same party. So it's not like you can take a Republican seat and make it Democrat or vice versa. Um, but the local party, nominates these three names and then the county council decides which is it, it it just seemed really bizarre and weird to me the the multiple stages that were involved here um and and, and so tell us a little bit about that process like we yeah I, I, there were there multiple people throwing their hats in the ring how did the how did a was there i mean and i I'm, I'm again, I know the answers to these questions, so it's a little weird asking them, but what, what was the process like and how was it different than like a normal campaign for an election? Cause obviously you, you, it's, it's different. What, what was, it, it's weird. What, what was it like? So first. Let me take a second and roll back to what I said about a PCO being this um, lowest level elected official and it's a party position, right? Um, PCOs have a couple of different um, functions, but in this case, the PCOs 
are the ones who get to decide those three names. Nobody else gets to vote but a PCO. So people who are PCOs, precinct committee officers, one of the things they get to do is they get to choose who's going to run their local political organization when there's reorg. They're the only ones who can vote for your chair. Um, The other thing they get to do is when there's a vacancy in, in an office, like the House, the Senate, they get to choose who fills it. And that's a interesting amount of power for the lowest, you know, level of elected official you can be, <laughs> if you think about it, because that that puts a lot on on PCOs to be able to do that. Um, so there was that. <clears throat> the process of doing so, it's like a campaign in a lot of respects, only there are a lot fewer people who can actually vote. Um, it doesn't really have the same PDC requirements because it's what, what, like what's a PDC? What's a um, PDC? The public disclosure commission. It's a, the organization that handles the state level, um, well, not just state level, but, um, state, um, election, uh, finance committee kind of thing. So it's like the FEC, but for state level. Okay. Um, and so they're they control they're in charge of the how the finances are supposed to work for anybody up to a um, up to a, a state position. Um, federal are subject to FEC. So the PCOs have a lot of power. You best thing to do is, you know, campaign to all of them and explain to them why you're the good, the best choice. So um, this is like that, this is like that, that, that first stage is getting the local party to choose you as one of the three. And mm-hmm. it's the, it's the PCOs that vote, which is what, like 80 people or something like that. Well, here they're that- 80. There can be, there can be a ton of PCOs in different, um, in different, right. um, in your particular race, it was around 80. 80 people. So that, that means essentially it's you're, you're campaigning, but instead of campaigning to a hundred thousand plus potential voters, you're campaigning to 80 people for this first round. And then, and then for County council, there are like what, five. Uh, So go ahead. In Sonoma County. In Sonoma County. County, King County, there are nine. Um, And in a legislative crosses they it's both counties county both county councils have to work together yeah ah gotcha so so in any case you're trying to convince these 80 people yeah how does that go um not as well as it could have i guess (laughs) i mean like i was second choice so uh, you know i i got people to say as long as i got people to say they'd vote for me first, second, third. I knew I could be in the running because I'd be one of those people that went to the county council. Because again, um, it was, it, they, they send three people to the county council, not just one. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the county council goes through its own kind of, um, I guess, kind of like an endorsement process. Um, I was asked a series of questions that I had to answer. I had to provide certain so, amounts of information. So, just so we can finish up that first step. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, you, you at you at the of the party choosing, they had sort of a 
it's a three round. They they vote for their first choice, and then that person gets put on the list, and then everybody gets to vote again for <laughs> their second choice. So the, the, whoever whoever wins the first choice ballot gets on, and then everybody can vote again uh, for anybody but the person who already won, and then you got that second slot, and then someone else came in the third slot. Yeah, uh, but- and so the one two three ranking sort of exists in the process of picking the top three, but then when they send it on to county council, it's just county council has to pick from these three. The ranking doesn't matter anymore at that point, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, the the idea is like, I, I know a lot of people in the legislative districts really want to make sure that, that the first person they pick is the one who goes, but there can be all sorts of reasons why that doesn't happen. Um so what were because, the reasons in your case? Because obviously you ended up getting picked by county council as opposed to the other two. Um, I think probably the biggest piece was that I was a known entity. Um, I was somebody who had been involved in local politics and local organizations for a good while. They knew who I was. Um, I had built a reputation for being... Um, for having a certain level, of, I guess, a level of integrity. Um, my county council race I ran was a very clean race. I didn't attack. I, I ran on policy. I mean, and just, all just, the, were, just, just, just as a point of that, the Republican Sam Lowe, who beat you in that county council race, ended up voting for you for this spot. Yeah. How? Most- Why? Was it just like you said, you ran a clean race? And so it's like, okay, I run on policy. And and the reality is there are ways in which we all differ, but there are also things that we all have in common. Right. And, and so that matters. Because you could easily imagine a situation where, I mean, obviously the, the, the county council was three Democrats and two Republicans, uh, but the Republicans could easily have just voted against you out of spite of like, yeah, I know I'm required to pick a Democrat, but I'm not going to pick that Democrat because they ran against me. But that didn't happen. No, no. No, because. I mean, both kind of stuck to policy, not. Personal, so and that helps, you know, I, I can't I'm not. I'm not a fan of the whole concept of attacking somebody um, to try to make people hate them on principle. Um, I really do think policy is a lot more important and often a lot more successful. Um, The attack attack politics works in some areas. There are a lot of areas where it doesn't. Um, And I think we're in one of where it really doesn't. Um, So there was that. Also, um, out of the questions that were asked, I think I, I really do think that there was a a level. You you mentioned questions just to be clear. Uh, the, the formal process of the County council evaluating you involved, uh, I, 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 do I remember correctly? There were both written questions and questions in an open hearing that you had to answer. Yeah. And all the candidates had to answer the three candidates. Yes. So there was, there were a bunch of questions that we had um, ahead of time that we, we provided written answers for, but then there were other questions they would ask when we were there. 
And so you were saying that you want those both. questions actually made a difference? You, I think sorry, so. Sorry, let me say that again. And and so you're saying those questions actually made a difference? I think they might have. Um, because, I mean, I didn't, I didn't actually hear the other answers. Um, because we were not all in the room together. Like they would. This was all virtual zoom stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they separated us. Right. So Mm -hmm. we would be, we would be pulled out of the zoom room while the other person was answering questions. But from my understanding afterwards, um, there were areas in which my, my understanding of the issues was probably a little bit better. I was a little more versed on what was actually going on. And I think, and, 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 and like you said as well, you'd, you'd been, you had been building relationships and being involved in local politics for a while. Yeah. So all five County council people knew you well already, both the Democrats and the Republicans already knew you had interacted with you. Yeah. Uh, and, and in a way that perhaps was not true of the other two candidates to the same degree. And so, you know, I, I guess the known quantity thing is a, is, is a factor there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, it absolutely was. I mean, I, um, I was involved and being involved has a, has a big part to play. And so, uh, this ended up, uh, you, you had four votes to one, uh, mm-hmm. for you, uh, by the County council. And so you got appointed. Yep. Um, so l- let's actually, um, we'll take a quick break. Um, and then we will talk about, uh, actually being a, a, a state representative. Um, so we will be back right after this. No, no, it's not the beginning of the show again. We're just taking a little time to credit the artist responsible for the music we use at the beginning and end of the show. What you are listening to right now is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. The music we close our show with is Celestial Soda Pop. Both of these songs are from Deep Breakfast. Now Platinum, Deep Breakfast was the first independently released album ever to be certified gold by the RIAA. Ray Lynch's other albums are The Sky of Mind. No Blue Thing Nothing Above My Shoulders But The Evening best of Ray Lynch.
You can check out Ray Lynch or buy his music at raylynch.com, iTunes, Amazon, or anywhere you usually find music. Okay, we are back. Um, and so we're, you know, you, we have the meeting. It's, it's all on Zoom. It's in the late afternoon, evening. I forget if, I, I think it was a Saturday. I, I don't even know. I don't remember what day of the week it was. It was a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. I was close with Saturday, only, you know, three days <laughs> off. <laughs> and, and, in any case, um, so you win this thing. What I, I my I'll just go ahead and tell my memory of this uh, initial part. Like you were supposed to be sworn in right away. We like hung up the Zoom call and we're like getting in the car to head to the courthouse to have a judge swear you in. Like right there, that very second. <laughs> yep. uh, that seemed it, it was a little weird. Like you you kind of expect that. Oh, okay. You you've you've been. Uh, you've been appointed or whatever. And you know, there'll be a ceremony later sometime and you know, do you, but no, no, it's like right now go. Well, you kind of want to get those positions filled as soon as possible. I right? guess so. How, how did you feel about that? Just like boom appointed, go, go, go. It was a little bit confusing, but you know, it was a big piece of it was the reason it was confusing was in part because of COVID, because everything was on Zoom, it I think it changed some of the processes of what might otherwise have happened. Because like if, if it was in person, would somebody have sworn you in like on the spot? If I remember correctly from the last time I um viewed one of these, I was at one of these um events, it was it was a situation where there was somebody there to swear the person in. Mm. So we we ran, we had a we had a judge opened up the courthouse door. We were the only ones in there practically, you, me, and the judge. I took like a couple pictures and a, a recording. Uh, but like he swore you in, said, thank you. Congratulations. And then we were on the way. And, uh, the other thing I remember is almost instantly, uh, your phone was practically off the hook, uh, texts, calls, everything with people trying to get a hold of you. Yeah. Yeah. People were like, oh, it happened because the news started to get out. And, um, also I was getting calls from um, somebody from the house trying to help me understand what I needed to do next. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do next. Where do I turn in? Like, who do I send the oath to? It's been signed by the judge. Now what do I do with it? Kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, so, yeah, that was a little. Bizarre. Yeah. And of course, you know, side note, I managed to, um, because it took so long to get back to the car because I was on the phone and the car is in a parking garage under the building. And I didn't want to go under the building because on the phone. And so we had to find a security guard to let us into the garage to get the car. And then once we got the car, we had to find somebody else to let us out. So nice. that was my first act as a state representative. I got locked in the parking garage at the courthouse where I was sworn in. <laughs> Good job. Good job all around. 
Um, so now this was in uh, late December. Um, and the, the way Washington state works, uh, is the legislature is part-time. Uh, so it runs at the beginning of each year, uh, and it alternates in election years. It's a little bit shorter. It's only 60 days. I gather in, uh, non-election years, it's like a hundred or 105 or something like that. Yeah. A little bit longer. Uh, but basically you had a couple weeks and then, you know, your first legislative session started. So just tell me about being a legislator. What, what was it like? What did you do? Um, we made like laws and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very, very, very funny. Good, good job. No, like, well, I, I want to, I'm interested in two things. First of all, mm-hmm. like what were your experiences when you first showed up and had, had your first couple days in terms of figuring out what it was you were even supposed to do. And then we can move on from that to like actual legislation and things you were involved in. Well, I mean, it wasn't like it was completely like I, there was who knows what happens here. You know, I had my computer, I'd been talking to people. There's like, there's like a whole kind of um, orientation that new legislators get usually after the election. Um, which is every two years on even years. And so because I was appointed and when I was appointed, um, there wasn't the opportunity for me to have that whole, um, that whole, you know, thing where all the freshmen come in and they're all together and they get to do all of these classes and stuff. So I had a lot of individual conversations with various people who are going over ethics and, and all sorts of other stuff with me. Um, what the rules are. Yeah. And while that was happening too, I was also getting phone calls from other legislators um, with advice or, um, you know, telling me about the stuff they're working on and, and things like that. So it's like, you immediately jump into a space where there are a whole lot of people and everybody's ready to help. So it's not, it wasn't as, as it could have been very kind of cold and lonely. It wasn't that because, um, the entire caucus was like, I I found most of the people in the caucus were very supportive and, um, working to make sure that I knew what was going on and what needed to happen and, and so on and so forth. So um, when session actually started, I was mostly prepared. Um, but when I got to my office, all of the furniture was in this like tight little clump in the middle of the room because um, they had painted it the week before and hadn't gotten everything put back yet. So my very first day of session I did from my hotel room. <laughs> well, speaking, speaking of that, wasn't, weren't things still like mostly remote due to COVID? Yeah. Um, everybody was on zoom. There were a few people on the floor. It was like the, um, the floor leader or the majority floor leader, the, um, minority floor leader, the, the, um, deputy majority floor leader like there were there were some people on the floor the speakers were on the floor but not everybody was most people were um on zoom so there were a lot of people who were just wherever you know at home 
I uh, have my our house is chaos. I mean, I enjoy a certain level of chaos, but our home is very chaotic. And I knew that I would be able to do a much better job if I wasn't here. And so I spent um, a minimum of four days a week in Olympia during session. What are are you saying? I distract you. You know, I'm going to be completely honest here. <laughs> when I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the chaos, it's it's often barking. Um, so you can be distracting, but I'm gonna blame blame the dogs. Uh, okay, it's okay. the dogs' fault. Got it's you. the dogs' fault. Um, so. Once you got started, um, obviously, you know, how did you determine sort of what things you were going to be involved in, what things you are not? I know you ended up sponsoring several bills. How did, for, I guess, briefly, how does that process work? But more importantly, tell me about the things that you were actually actively involved in pushing for. Well, okay. So first, um, some of the things that I was involved in to determine what they were, I was assigned to a committee um, or two committees. So I was assigned to the um, Housing, Human Resources and Veterans Committee, the Community and Economic Development Committee, and Transportation. So those were the committees that I sat on. Um, how was that? How, how did they pick? Uh, it was that like you saying I'm interested or as like a brand new person, was it just like, yeah, here you go. Or was it inheriting the slots of the person you took over for? How, how did that even work? I, I think for the most part, I ended up inheriting, um, most of John's spots, but the reality is that, um, there are a bunch of our, um, the things that we're interested in and involved in are very similar. So, so it's actually a pretty good, a pretty good balance, but, um, there's also a committee on committees. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That means to determine the committees. So there's that too. And, you know, people were being shuffled around a little bit, but, um, yeah, there's a committee on committees. I think it's a little funny. I get it though. So tell me like the things you actually started getting involved and pushing and legislation that was actually sort of yours. How, you know, what, what were those things that you were really, uh, really involved in? And was it aligned with the issues that you thought you'd be most passionate about or how did it differ? Um, actually, you know, I managed to hook up um, with a lot of things that did, did work with things that I'm already interested in. Um, but, and, and that was, that was kind of interesting and, and quite lucky, I think. But when it comes down to it, how we go about, you know, creating our bills can be very different. Um, for some things it's recognition of an issue and then working on ways to fix it for others. It could be a, um, a request from one of the other, I guess, departments of the, of the government agencies, government agencies, um, can, can make requests for things that they need. Um, 
lobbyists and lobbying groups can make requests for things that they need and so on. And um, we were limited by how many bills we were supposed to be able to sponsor, which meant that there were also a few people who had bills that needed a sponsor that didn't have them. So there were a number of different ways to kind of get involved, but I, I wasn't going to um, step in and sponsor a bill that I didn't have the ability to understand or that wasn't an area that held interest for me because I don't think that's, I don't think that's the best way to do the best job. You know what I mean? So, Uh um, I had a few bills that were agency requests, at least one that came from one of the lobbying groups and, um, one that I think was, I think it was just the one that was, um, that existed and I was asked to pick up because somebody else couldn't. So tell me about these things. What were the bills that you were involved in pushing? Um, I had a bill to change the definition of first-time homebuyer to match the federal definition of first-time homebuyer in regards to land trusts. So um, Washington State has a more rigid rigid definition of first-time homebuyer. And so what was happening was when people were having the opportunity to purchase property on the land trust, um, and and it actually, it actually occurred, um, with a a family that was, um, getting divorced and the one parent, it was agreed they should keep the kids. It was agreed they should keep the house, but, um, had to essentially purchase that house and to do so. And they qualified for first-time homebuyer from the federal government, but they did not qualify for a first-time homebuyer in Washington state because they'd previously owned property um, in the last three years with their spouse. Okay. So basically it was making it so that if you own a house with your spouse and you're, you divorce, then, and you know, the two of you owning the house together doesn't count as just you owning the house previously. So you still have the opportunity to be a first-time home buyer again. Okay. What else? Um, so there was that one. Another one was really simple one to get rid of an audit that was auditing something that was taken out of a law several years ago. And so basically it was a ghost audit. It wasn't, there was nothing they were actually auditing anymore. Right. Because and it cost about $100,000 a year. So $100,000 a year to check something that didn't exist anymore. Uh-huh. Okay. That was actually the one that got the most resistance. Okay. Explain that. Why? Um, because audits make sure you're being responsible. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was... There was, it was a little bit complicated. And I think that that made it difficult. There had basically been two pots that funds were going into. And um, at some point, it was, and that, so the audit was designed to make sure that a certain percentage was going into, say, pot A. Right. Okay. The rest would go into pot B. So at some point, pot A and pot B were combined. Right. And so all the funds, we're going into this new combined pot C. 
the audit existed to make sure a certain percentage was going into pot A, but pot A didn't exist anymore. It was now so, only pot C, which got so it. Was, right. So it basically the audit would just confirm that 100% was actually going into pot C. Sort of. The problem was that the pot, the, the audit was designed to identify how much was going into pot A and pot right. A no longer existed. Okay. So, so the auditors and, didn't know what to do because there, there was nothing for them to audit anymore. And, and I guess I was going to ask this at the end, but I guess it makes more sense to do it as we go along. This first one with um, the uh, definition of first time home buyer, what ended up happening to that bill? Um, it got past the house with bipartisan now, support and it, oh, okay. um, go ahead. Like, like bipartisan, like almost everybody supported it or like uh -huh. Democrats plus a few Republicans. No, almost everybody. Okay. So this was like a near unanimous, nearly unanimous. Everybody liked this bill. It passed the house. Uh, what happened in the Senate? It got to the Senate. It got through the, um, housing committee in the Senate. And, and then it went to rules and there wasn't time for it to come out of rules before the session ended. So basically near unanimous support in the house sounds like it probably would have pretty strong support in the Senate, but it just didn't make it through the process. So it died. Yeah. And you, you know, just so we're clear, I don't remember what the actual vote counts were. I could look them up, but, um, I actually did have at least one bill that was unanimous. So, okay. So, um, so the first, the first one with the first time home buyers, uh, you know, strong support, but didn't make it through because there wasn't time in the 60 actually, day session. No, that's wrong. No, oh, that's right. Okay. Sorry. It's the audit one. It was the audit okay. one that had the, um, yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask about the audit one next. What happened to the audit one, both in the house? That was and the closer Senate? to party lines. So this was Republicans insisting on the audit that audited nothing, but Democrats were all on board with getting rid of it. Well, yeah, because it didn't audit anything. Right. But the but the re, the Republican line on it was that yeah, but it's an audit. It's important to check our stuff to make sure we're doing the right thing with the money. Yes. Okay. So, but it, it passed the house. What happened in the Senate? Um, it got out of the, um, relevant committee in the Senate along party lines, essentially. Uh -huh. Um, and then ended up in rules. And also died before getting a final vote? Yes. Because you ran out of time again. Yes. Because the Washington State Constitution says that in these off years, the session lasts 60 days, end of story, anything that's not done, too bad. Pretty right? much. And, and barring an emergency that calls for a special session, pretty much, yeah. Okay. This sounds a little silly. <laughs> Just a little, you know, it, it's one, it's one thing for legislation to die because it actually like doesn't have the support. Uh, but, uh, especially the one that was like, you know, highly bipartisan, very few people were against it, 
but yet it still doesn't happen simply because time runs out. It just seems now ridiculous. to be clear. I had six bills with the exception of the audit one. Um, so I had six bills. I had five past the house. Um, the audit one was the only one that didn't have strong bipartisan support. So, okay. So let, let's, let's go through the remaining four, <laughs> but let's do it a little bit quicker. Just okay. like rattle off for each one. What was it about? What happened in the house? What happened in the Senate? And did it get signed by the governor? And then we'll, then we'll move on to other things. Okay, I had another bill that was um, designed to help increase the um, and and standardize the training for power educators in schools um, to make sure that they had all the legal and otherwise training that they needed in order to be able to do their jobs because they had indicated that they were not getting what they needed to be able to do their jobs effectively and it could impact whether or not they stayed with the jobs of the schools. Um, That got through the House with strong bipartisan support. It got through the Senate committees. Um, It actually got pulled from rules and was placed on second reading in the Senate where it died because there was no more time, as far as I can tell. Um, So that's three for three that ended up in that way. (laughs) Go ahead. Well, no, that we've talked about that one. That one made it to second reading. That one was pulled from rules. It was put on okay, the floor. But, but my my point is, yes. of the first three we've talked about, all three ended up passing everywhere there was a vote, but not yes. actually becoming law because time ran out. Yes. And then I had another one that would allow EMTs to um, continue to work with public health organizations, kind of like they have been um, for COVID when we are not in a declared state of emergency um, to address COVID outbreaks and any other um, public health emergency. So there was that one. Um, That one also got strong bipartisan support, um, made it through the House, also made it through the Senate. Um, However, in the Senate, there was an amendment which was an entire another bill mm. attached to my bill. Um, so it made it through the Senate and then it had to um, come back and we had to go to concurrence and decide whether or not we were going to accept that amendment. And everybody involved said yes. So it was voted on again in the House and then signed by the governor. Excellent. So one one actually went through and got signed. Yay. Okay. Yeah. That was number four. What's number five? Number five allows um, fire districts, departments, fire authorities to have rear facing blue lights on their vehicles um, that can be used when they are stationary on the side of the road, fa- fighting a fire, responding to a accident, et cetera. Um, this is because blue lights are more visible than red lights. You can see them from a longer dis- for distance away, particularly at night. You're less likely to um, succumb to the moth effect, which basically has you driving towards red lights, um, which fire trucks have right now. And um, so the idea was to help prevent people from hitting either fire trucks, ambulances, or their personnel. 
that one um, made it through the House with strong bipartisan support. It made it through the um, Senate with bipartisan support, and it was signed by the governor as well. Excellent. Okay. And I believe we're at number six now. Last one. Okay. Um, So Senator Mona Doss had a big um, uh, recycling kind of package bill. And the sixth one was, so basically it was an environmental recycling bill um, that was a companion to a Senate bill. And that got assigned to a committee, but it didn't go any further. Okay. Um, so aside, so those were the six that you know, like directly had your name on it. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any other big pieces of legislation that you didn't have your name on, but you feel like were important that the state legislature did this session that you're proud of? I mean, I, there were other bills that I had my name on and some that I Okay, there was one that I didn't have my name on that was just kind of a cool bill. I thought it was kind of useful and important and reminded me of stuff that I had learned when I was younger. Um, And that particular bill, there was it was a Republican bill, but there was an issue determining how to make what they wanted to make work happen. And I could figure out a way to make that work that um, the agencies that needed to actually do the work were happy with. So I, I was going to ask about this if you didn't bring it up. Let's let's get a little bit more detail here. Like you say, this was a Republican bill. So this uh-huh. this is this is a bill that was sponsored by Republicans. Uh, and then how did you, so you ended up helping make this it bill was a go good forward? Bill. It was so, a good so, idea. So so tell me about this and how that worked. Like because this is like you working in a bipartisan way across the aisle. I mean, you mentioned a whole bunch of your bills had bipartisan support, but mm-hmm. this sa- sounds a little weirder that it's something that doesn't happen all the time, which is like, apparently this was a Republican bill that was on its way to dying and you helped move it forward anyway. So what it happens, it happens. So tell me, tell me about, you know, describe the actual, like what the bill was about and stuff too. Cause otherwise people won't understand. Um, it was just a bill to, allow for um, or to remove people's addresses from their auto registration, the piece that you keep in your car. And why would you want to do that? Um, This particular legislator had somebody had a constituent who um, his car was broken into and he was robbed. And then they used his registration to find his home and rob his home as well. And so the idea is basically you're, you're required by law to have this registration Mm -hmm. in your car. Yep. So just don't put your address on it so that if something happens to your car, they can't go find your home. It's right. really that but, simple, right? Yeah. But I mean, your your registration has your address on it. And and the reality the thing is, like I this was something I was taught when I when I learned to drive what decades ago is that you don't leave things with your address in the car because somebody could follow you home. Right. So why was this not just something that had bipartisan support and was gonna right, go right through anyway? What 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 was the sticking point? Um, they wanted to have a way to make it work. Um, it's so it's the auditors depart um, that usually end up having to send these things out. So it was a matter of figuring out how to make it work so that they continue continue to send it out without having it cost a whole lot more than it did before. So what 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 do you mean by make it work? Isn't it just like remove the address? Done. How do you mail it to somebody if you take the address off? So so the key to this 
is the way they mail it right now was having an envelope with the little clear bit that showed uh-huh. that part of the registration. So it wasn't a separately addressed envelope with a with your registration inside. They right. they had that clear little window. And so if you took it off the registration itself, then you're taking the address off the envelope as well. So you had to figure out, and, it, and I guess what you were saying about expenses, if you just said, well, don't use those little clear envelopes, just print the envelopes, that's a much more expensive process. You'd end up spending tons of money, et cetera. And, and there's so much the- higher risk of the wrong registration being sent to somebody because you're now using two separate things with an address and you ha- or two separate things for a person. You have to be able to match them up. So it takes so more basic- man-, man hours too. And so basically this was going to die because the regulatory agencies that actually is responsible for printing and mailing these things was saying, we can't just remove the address because then we can't mail it. And therefore it was stuck. Yeah, they were going to, they were going to fight it. And how did you resolve that impasse? Um, so Basically, it was just a matter of moving where the address is printed on your registration. It's in the middle, which is part of the problem. So shifting it to the top or the bottom means you can cut it off. And and so it really was that simple. You just essentially pointed out to everybody involved that if you moved the address on the registration well, it, piece it, of form, you could print it and still have it all work. I and talked about that and, and I was checking to find out, you know, do they use paper folders or like machine paper folder machines or, or are they manually folded? Do people do these one at a time or is it like this whole like system that does it? Um, can they handle having things with perforations, which they determined probably it would be a barrier for some people. Could it be a label that you remove from your registration later? But that was going to be a lot more expensive and could muck up the machines as well. So it was a matter of coming up with an idea and then um, connecting with the auditors to find out what would work well for them. So, so basically you got down into the weeds of, okay, if you, if this law was passed as is, it would cost a lot of money in printing changes potentially, at least that's what the agency was saying, but you got down into the weeds to figure out, is there a cheaper way that you could do this? And once you were able to confirm with all the relevant parties that, yeah, there was a way that you could do this and make it work and blah, 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 that unblocked this thing so it could proceed for further. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. And now, it was signed by the governor. And it was signed by the governor. And how did, uh, you know, the, the Republican who was pushing this in the first place, uh, how was your relationship going back and forth with that person? And, and what did they think of your involvement here? Oh, she's super nice. <laughs> we get along well. Um, we don't agree on every issue, but I'm um, probably I mean, not on most issues. Um, You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Um, cause, cause, and, and th- this is actually an important thing to mention too. Like almost every issue you're talking about so far hasn't been like these mega social issues that the national fights are about. I mean, you're talking about the color of the lights on, uh, on fire trucks. Yeah. The police don't like that though. The police. Okay, fine. <laughs> 
because they, <laughs> they want a monopoly on blue lights. Uh, but, but the point is these aren't like the kind of social issues that you hear people getting all super upset and passionate. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of those that the legislature has to deal with too, but most of these that you're talking about, I mean, this particular issue, Hey, for safety reasons, can we remove your address from your car registration? This isn't something that, you know, Republicans and Democrats are, are naturally going to line up a specific way on. Right. But, you know, there are a lot of Republicans who are heavily involved in food banks and heavily Mm -hmm. involved in um, trying to find resources for people who are homeless and heavily involved in all of those things. So each all of our committees were made up of a combination of um, Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, quite a few cases, um, there was bipartisan support for things. I mean, it happened that there were areas where there wasn't, but I think um, Senator Lovick mentioned, was it this morning at a meeting that it's something like 97% of our bills passed with bipartisan support in the House or in the legislature in general. So that's important. Um, That was one of the things that actually surprised me about the legislature was that we see all this stuff about you know, these battles going back and forth, but a lot of legislation was bipartisan. Wow. Okay. Um, so to wrap up this segment, um, and then, uh, and then we'll take a break and we'll talk a bit about your campaign to retain this seat. Um, but what are your overall thoughts on being a legislator on being in the legislator and have about this job? It's so much fun. Um, fun? It's fun. There's all sorts of policy, and it's it's nice to be able to dive into that policy and identify some of the loopholes and address them. Um, coming from the kind of activist side of things, it's really kind of cool to be able to fix it before it becomes a problem sometimes. Because on the other side, you're all like trying to address what you think are issues, but you don't have the power to make a change. You can only ask for it. And, but and on I know what side you can make an amendment. Yeah. One of the things that you've mentioned to me on a, a few different occasions uh, is being involved in the, in, in sort of the committee process and looking at legislation before it's even voted on and finding some paragraph in there or something that you're like, hey, this is a problem. This won't work the way you think it's going to work. And suggesting improvements mm-hmm. and often getting those in it before the thing even comes up to a vote. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. It's a lot of fun. And like I like I had said, um, they, they mentioned it's like it's kind of like having to drink from a fire hose. And apparently I enjoy that. So. It, it was the right kind of chaos, which is a different kind of chaos that is at home, probably because there's no barking in the house of representatives. There's a lot of barking here. And, and so, uh, so this is a good job for you. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you've used the word wonk before. Are you a wonk, Brandy? I didn't think I was a wonk until... 
until that day that you were like, no, honey, you are a wonk. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm a wonk. And I guess I really am. Because, like, I read all the bills before I'll sign on to them. You know, I, I want to know what's actually in there before I'm going to say I'm down with this. So... And th this is, I think, uh, an interesting aspect of you as a politician, um, is that that's the part that really gets you excited, is the policy part, the mm -hmm. actual politician part. They're running around campaigning, schmoozing people, all that kind of stuff, uh, that you're, you're a lot less excited about that part. At least it seems that way to me. Well, yeah. I mean, I want to know what people need. I want to know what they're upset about. I want to know what they they worry about. And I want to find ways to help fix those things. You know, I want to be able to help address them. And, you know, this is, I mean, it's a really weird job interview, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes the job doesn't go to the person who can do it. It goes to the person who's the best showman who maybe can't do the job at all. That's something that seems to be true at all levels from president all the way down to these local offices is the skill set needed to get elected isn't necessarily the same skill set as it is to do the job. Right. Uh, which is, you know, a, a weirdness about, I guess, any democracy, but I'm not sure that it, it I'm not suggesting that you want to move to something that's not a democracy at all. Just yeah. to be clear, it, it's, 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 clearly better than any of the alternatives, but this is one of the weird outcomes that you see over and over and over again that, yeah, the, the skill set that it takes to go out there, run a campaign, convince people to vote for you just isn't a clean one-to-one -one match with what it takes to actually like be in the legislature or be a governor or be a president or whatever. Uh, it, it, it's not the same skill set. Now there's some overlap, which is good. If there was no overlap, that would be a problem, an even bigger problem. But, uh, but yeah, that is, that is an interesting weirdness, but, but it's the policy stuff that seems to get you really excited. Oh yeah. 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 And, and, you know, being able to see it, see it through and help people. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, what's amazing. I mean, that's what really matters to me. I, and if you know what, that makes me a wonk, so be it. Very good. Um, okay, let's take a quick break. Uh, and then after the break, like I said, you are running to retain this seat. And so we'll talk about that for a little bit. Back after this. <laughs> Creepy Classic celebrates the classic horror and science fiction films from the silent era through the 1960s, and retro TV horror from the 1950s to the 1970s. Visit creepyclassics.com for all your classic video needs. And when you buy something, tell Ron that the curmudgeons say hello. <laughs> Okay, we are back. Um, so you are running uh, to stay in this seat. I think uh, before you even got into this thing, that was 
you know, that was clear, like nobody was going to try to be appointed to the seat and not intend to run for election the next time around. Um, but what's, you know, you're ramping up for another campaign. Um, what makes this different than your, the county council race last year that you lost? Um, a couple things. One is that I am the incumbent, which um, does help. I just came out of there after um, passing uh, public health and safety bills that worked after being part of passing a transportation package that didn't increase um, fuel taxes for Washingtonians, um, passing other legislation that serves to help protect um, people in this state and also help them thrive. So I've just had my hands in that. And I, that is, that is helpful. I can say that I can do this job. I can do it well and, um, work to keep it. So I think that's really important. Um, another is that what I found is when running for, um, the County council, it's very much you're on your own. Uh, there's not a whole lot of help. There's not a lot of structural help at all. Um, that's not the case here. Um, we have we have support in place, and I've I've been um, lucky to have support from other legislators to um, continue to kind of build my campaign because I came in, I did come in to the fundraising late because I was appointed during a fundraising freeze. So where everybody else has already been doing it for a while, I actually am just really getting into it now. So um, that's a little different as well. But having that support there can make all the difference. It's also, I mean, honestly, it's the type of race that people pay more attention to. And um, because it's a swing district, it's also making it one of the um, higher priority races in the state this time around. So, so let's talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, the county council district you ran for, we talked about, was a red district and trending redder. The mm -hmm. legislative district that you are a state rep for uh, overlaps with that other district. Obviously, our home is in both. But uh, it overlaps with the blue parts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess it, it overlapped with the blue parts. That's a, that's a good way to put it. And also redistricting made that even more so, yeah. um, I believe. Um, so you mentioned this is a purple district. The, 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 the other district, yeah, red trending redder. Would you call this one? Is, is it, is it? purple tinged red, purple tinged blue. What, what are the trends ha and, and all of that? What, what does this look like? Technically it, it kind of is blue, but we know that, um, the national, but barely blue, right? Yeah. Just over 50%. So yeah, it's barely blue. Um, there are a lot of moderates that fall in within there that could go either way. And, um, you know, you also have to look at what's going on nationally because that does have an impact on state politics. Um, I, I was certainly going to ask you that, uh, you know, it's looking, you know, we, we got a ways till November yet, but everything right now is looking like it's going to be a very rough November 
for Democrats on the nationwide level. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you got problems with inflation. Joe Biden's approval rate is low. You've got uh, the the Republicans are making some of these social issues very salient and getting a lot of people worked up about them that might otherwise not be. Um, you've got all kind. Of, you've got the just general trend that on off years, who whoever controls the presidency usually usually loses ground in Congress, and on these even years that you're you're now for the first time having an election in an even year, you know what drives turnout are not these local races, it's Congress. Yeah. Um. And and on every four years, the presidency as well, obviously, but. How does that affect your local race or, you know, are, is, is this a kind of situation where like, you know, if the nationwide trends go badly against the Democrats, everybody, all of the Democrats are screwed up and down the ballot? I think, I think that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And the reason I think this is because, you know, we do have this Washington is a purplish but mostly blue state. Um, and in areas where we're having, you know, the, the mostly blue, I think there's still, there's still space for, um, for things to turn out. Well, I mean, I think there's space everywhere, but, um, when you've got state legislators who are engaged and really, um, spend time connecting with their constituents who people know, I think it's um, it's a lot harder for what's happening nationally to completely bowl that over, if that makes sense. Because, right. I mean, a legislative district isn't huge. I mean, they're not tiny, but they're not huge. We have 49 legislative districts in this state. So about how many voters are in a legislative district here in Washington state? In your legislative district, about how many voters are there? That's a good question. I want to say we've got um, just about a hundred thousand, maybe plus or minus. Yeah, and, and it's going to fluctuate. Um, it's a little bit smaller than the county council district, so I mean, it's not—they're not super huge, but that gives us the opportunity to be more engaged with the um, members of the community. So. You think that that's the real key that says, you know, like, obviously, I mean, you're a Democrat, you're going to do everything you can for the national trends to go the other way as well. uh, And for the Democrats not to have as bad a year as people are anticipating. But you feel that even if the national trends are against Democrats, you can build enough of a local connection that it doesn't necessarily mean all the down ballot races are screwed to. I certainly hope so. And, and specifically yours. So what what are you, I mean, I know it's it's still early days. It's April. Uh, the general election is until until November. There's a primary win, May, June? When's the primary? August. 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 Uh, you know. um, and so the, the way Washington State, by the way, works is it's a jungle primary. So anybody in either party 
can throw their hat in for the primary and the top two go on to the general. Uh, it's usually one Republican, one Democrat. But if you're in a particularly blue or a particularly red district, or if the there are enough people to split the vote, you could end up with two Republicans or two Democrats in that final election in November. Um, I believe at the moment you have uh, one Republican running against you, uh, who is a previous who had previously been in the state house here, mm -hmm. uh, Mark Harmsworth. Uh, it's early. There may be more uh, before you get to the primaries. Um, uh, what are what are your feelings about the race and? what you're going to be doing differently than you did in the county council race uh, to to push this where you need it to go over the next few months. It's a completely different race. Um, so it's not even a matter of what I'm going to do differently. It's a matter of what I'm going to do for this race. Um, and, and, and some of that is going to be partially led by my consultants and um, and others. But um, one of my biggest goals is to make sure that I am able to get to meet and engage with the majority of the voters. That can be difficult. And um, last year, I found out there had been a lot less voter con contact than I thought. So that's not going to happen this year. And voter contact is going to be, you know, top on the list. And by that, you mean uh, yourself and volunteers and employees of your campaign going out, doorbelling, showing up at events, all of that kind of thing, uh, and 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 just making sure that uh, uh, people are out there, you know, pressing the flesh, uh, talking about you. Yeah. And what's going to be even more important is um, making sure that people are also out there getting... I want to say getting to the polls, but that's not quite how we do it here, but actually getting people to vote. There are a lot of people who do not vote because they do not feel like they are engaged. They don't feel like it matters. Um, you know, why keep voting within a system where it's not looking out for them anyway? Um, and I've had a lot of conversations like that. And that's one of those things that I think is really important. Not only that we address, address in the legislature, but we address when we're going out and getting out the, getting out the word about good candidates, making sure that, um, you know, people are able to feel like they matter because there are so many who have become disenfranchised because they don't think that they matter. They don't think that they're important. And that needs to change because we have a responsibility to represent everybody in our legislative district. Um, not just the people who come out and vote and not just the people who come out and vote for us. We represent everybody and we can't let our desire to keep the job make us forget about why we do the job. At least that's my thought process on there. And along those lines, you know, one of the debates that people have nationally all the time, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on at the local level, you, you mentioned getting people out to vote who normally don't vote. Um, the debate has always been like, you know, do you win by 
really exciting your base and getting them out to vote? Or do you win by persuading people in the middle who could go either way? What do, what do you feel about that? Kind of depends on where you are. Well, let's talk about your race. What do you think about that for you for this year? Um, like I said, this is a blue district. There are more Democratic voters than there are Republican voters. And as long as that's the case, what's going to make the difference is who comes out to vote. So does that mean you don't think about trying to persuade those middle of the road, wishy-washy voters who go, no. who potentially go back and forth between red and blue? No, not at all. Um, it just means that um, getting people to actually vote has a significant impact as well. So how, so I guess on those two fronts, um, on getting people out to vote, you've said some of how you do that, uh, in terms of just, I, 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 in terms of pressing the flesh, in terms of getting your name out there, uh, in terms of exciting those people, is it exactly the same things to get to those persuadable voters or do you have to approach persuadable voters differently? I mean, I kind of, I kind of approach all the voters pretty much the same, but it's because, like I said, I, I represent all of them. I don't only represent the ones that are going to agree with me. I represent everyone. And as long as that's the case, I can't, I can't be true to my job and not approach everybody with the same amount of care. Because I've noticed you at events sometimes spending a significant amount of time speaking to people who don't necessarily agree with you. Yeah. And some people wouldn't bother with that. Well, there's two things. And, and like I said, I represent everybody, not just people who agree with me. And that's important. And I need to be able to take their positions to Olympia as well as my own and as well as everybody who represent, who um, agrees with me. But the other point is that every time we engage in a conversation that doesn't result in there being an echo chamber is an opportunity to learn. So that even if we don't end up agreeing with one another, we've learned more about one another's positions and how we got to those places. And I think that's important. I, I think that's um, a, a good place to start wrapping it up. I do want to make sure we do sort of the fundraising thing as well. You mentioned that fundraising is a big part of, uh, of any campaign these days. Cause you have to, you know, aside from the very littlest of things, uh, yeah, you have to have help. You have to have staff. You have to at some point have advertising and signs and all this other stuff to, to get your name out there. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is money involved. Uh, I and it. I, uh, <laughs> and I understand that you've got some, some, you know, there's money for the whole campaign, but there's also having to prove to additional donors that you actually can make it a certain way. So people are very carefully watching how much money you raise in April, which is where we are right now. Uh, and uh, do you want to say a little bit about what the fundraising situation is, what you need and how people can go donate to your campaign and, uh, and who can donate to your campaign. Cause I know uh, we've got international listeners here. You have to be a, uh, you know, a citizen to donate, right? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you have to be, a, I believe you have to be able to vote. Um, you also have to be um, over the age of 18. But, but not necessarily for your race. So you can take donations from all over the country. Yeah, I can take donations from somebody who lives in another country as long as they're still mm-hmm. voting here. And by them being able to vote, you don't mean the 44th Legislative District of Washington. They just have to be able to vote in the U.S., right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and you said over 18 and what else? Uh, they'll they'll find that out if they try to donate. It, it tells you the rules. Um, yeah. Wh- what do you need? What What's your ask to people? Why should they donate to you and how do they do it? Um, so... I think people should donate to me because I'm a damn good legislator and I'm only going to get better Um, because I'm genuine, because I do want to hear from everybody, not just the people who agree with me. I'm not interested in an echo chamber. Um, And my focus is largely on things that look at public safety and public health. Um, My goal is to see all Washingtonians thrive Um, because when we all thrive, everybody wins. Our economy is stronger. We're more resilient. Um, and we're better able to face anything that comes our way. I think all those things are important. I also recognize that, um, Snohomish County and the 44th legislative district aren't King County and they aren't Seattle and our needs are different. And I have been, and will continue to be a champion for, um, my county and my district because we are unique and we are important. I don't know if you were going to say this, but also your district, as you mentioned, is a just barely blue district. It is a swing district. The Washington state house uh, only has, it doesn't have a super majority of Democrats either. It's relatively mm-hmm. close. The, your district is one of the key districts for the state that is competitive and could easily fall the other way, uh, and which might have effects on the control of the state house as a whole. Uh, and so it's important if you are a Democrat to help any way you can on these kind of swing districts, both Brandy's race and others, uh, because it's not just the one district. It potentially has impacts on the state house and the state house potentially has impacts on what's going on nationwide, uh, et cetera. And so, you know, if you're looking for places for your money to be effective, you're looking towards the places that are going to be close races. And it looks like this is going to be a close race. So your dollars make a difference. Am I misstating that? No, No, you're accurate. It is. We're definitely, we're in a district that is being targeted. We are, um, we've already seen some of that work coming out in the way that um, we're all being represented in various, uh, media. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a big one. Okay. So if people do want to give to you, how do they do so? Or how do they, and how do they get additional information if they're interested? Easiest way is going to be to hit my website and click on my link. And that is electbrandydonaghy.org and find that donate button. There's also an opportunity for people to volunteer to do a number of different things and um, get involved. 
it's important. We're going to need all hands on deck. And if people want to find out additional stuff, I mean, obviously you've got your website. Any other places to go? Do you have a Facebook presence or anything else that uh, you want to push? I also have a Facebook. That's elect Brandy Donaghy as well. Um, oh, and, and you can get there from your website as well. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing is you can always shoot me an email because I'll answer. And what's the email? It is brandy at electbrandydonaghy.org. There's a theme. <laughs> <laughs> there does seem to be a theme. I wonder where that, that comes from. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, and, and also uh, a, I'll, I'll give the feedback for, uh, for this podcast as well in just a second, how to get a hold of us. And uh, if you send anything to me, I will, of course, pass it along as well. But you can go direct. You don't have to go through me. electbrandydonaghy.org you'll find out all, all of the ways to donate, follow her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There you go. Mm -hmm. uh, any last things you want to make sure to get out uh, before we close this up? Hmm. I really like my job. I would like to keep it. <laughs> I, I would like you to keep it too. Yeah. I, from, from, from the point of view of a husband, let me just say, um, as Brandy has gotten more politically active over the last few years. I've seen her become more and more fulfilled with what she is doing, more and you know, happier, more engaged, and especially like just the couple of months she's spent in the state legislature, um, she has seemed to be more in the right place than I have seen her before. Excited and super engaged and feel and making a difference and uh, all of these things in, in a way that uh, uh, has been great to see. And I know uh, from, from what I've heard second and third hand, uh, she, she's making a real impression with a lot of people in Olympia and a lot of people in Snohomish County in terms of being able to get in there and get the job done and do good things and, and just being engaged and responsive. And like you've heard here, just wanting to hear from everybody. Uh, so, and of course, you know, I'm biased. I know this, I'm her husband. But I think she's great. You should all donate to her. And as I mentioned, there is a fundraising deadline by the end of April. So dig deep in those pockets. Uh, you know, we appreciate the little donations too. She's had lots and lots of, you know, grassroots, low dollar support, low dollar recurring support. And those are great. But if you have the ability to give bigger numbers, give bigger numbers. There's, there's a maximum. You're not allowed to give more than $1,000 in the primary and $1,000 in the general. But, you know, she'll take those $1,000 checks. You know, so get to that. Right, Brandy? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Brandy, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been a long time since you've been on, and it's always fun. Uh, and I know for 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 any of our regular listeners, uh, you know, this is not our normal show. Normally we're talking about, you know, national and international events with a little bit of random whatever's going on in my life and Yvonne's life thrown in there for good measure. 
Uh, but it sound, seemed like this would be uh, an, an interesting change. Uh, and I took advantage of Yvonne not being able to be here this week to do this. Uh, for anybody who's tuning in only to hear Brandy Donaghy, um, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, this conversation. Uh, and maybe give the podcast a, a chance, our regular podcast. Tune in next week uh, where Yvonne and I will probably be talking about Ukraine and national events and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's it's very different than what we just did here, but uh, you might like it too. So give it a shot. Um, and with that, uh, let me give the normal stuff we do at the end of the show here. If you want to find out how to contact us or look at an archive of the show, uh, all our old episodes, or if you want to subscribe to the show or anything like that, you can go to our website. It's curmudgeons-corner.com, uh, and you can see all of that information. You'll have an email, Facebook, Twitter, all of that kind of stuff. There's also a link to our Patreon, uh, which is a way that you can uh, donate a little bit uh, uh, to help with the expenses of this show. Uh, and if you donate to the Patreon at various levels, we'll show, we'll, we'll mention you on the show. We'll send you a postcard. We'll send you a mug, uh, importantly at $2 a month or more, or if you just contact us through any of the ways that are there on the website and ask nicely, we will invite you to our curmudgeons corner slack, uh, where myself, my normal co-host Yvonne and a few of our listeners are hanging out all week long, sharing links, chatting, talking about the news of the day, even sharing Wordle scores sometimes, but that's we've, we've got that off in a separate channel, so you don't have to be bothered with it if you don't like that. We will invite you there. Uh, it, it, you, you just have to ask nicely. We would love to have more of you there. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and with that, uh, that's all I got to say. So, uh, hey, everybody, uh, stay safe. Have a great week. And uh, I'll, I'll talk to you again next week, probably with Yvonne. In the meantime, uh, uh, say goodbye, Brandy. Goodbye, Brandy. And goodbye from me as well. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.